Welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wozny, and today's episode is part of a special Q&A series involving students from various Calgary post-secondary institutions and an industry expert from the business community. Out of 20 podcast episodes to date, a total of 53 students have participated, including undergrads in the Bachelor of Commerce, Software Engineering, Computer Science, and Business and Communications faculties, Master students in the Master of Management and Master of Business Administration programs, and Evolve learners from the Inception U Full Stack Developer program here in Calgary. As my two listeners will know, this initiative started during one of my mentoring sessions with Haskane MBA student Jagbir Randawa when we bounced the idea of having him and his MBA colleagues join me on the podcast to share their career expectations for summer roles in 2021 and upon graduation in 2022. It seemed only natural to invite industry experts to allow these students to obtain practical and value-added feedback as they navigate their careers in these COVID-muddied waters. I hope you enjoy this initiative, and to ensure you don't miss future episodes, I invite you to subscribe to the Calgary Business Podcast. I also invite you to leave a review to allow others to easily find my podcast. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and stay safe. Good afternoon or good good evening and welcome to Calgary Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wozny, and for episode, this is actually one day off of Remembrance Day, and I think we're going to all remember this one quite well, but uh, we are in episode number 326. This is the 19th episode to let everyone know in the series in which I bring some, a trio of students, and we've got uh, competing students from different faculties, and, and I've also got uh, Dr. Maximilian Kurz from the Cherry Health team. So, we're going to go right in um, and let everyone introduce themselves. Let's start with uh, Max or Maximilian, Dr. Max, Dr. Max. Go ahead, please. Perfect. Hi, Max is just fine. Yeah, my name is Dr. Maximilian Kurtz. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CTO of Cherry Health. Um, we are essentially a medical um, network that's um, currently growing here in Canada. Uh, we started out with medical staffing and now also moving into sort of general connectivity and value propositions for healthcare in general. Um, prior to this, I was working in the investment space for startups, so at Bayer Pharmaceuticals and the digital health investment arm, as well as Harvest Venture Builders here in Calgary, um, yeah. focused mostly on um, creating ventures in the fintech space. Yeah. Well, and, and Max, your your co-founder, Jordan, Dr. Jordan Volrath, was also on, and I think Noel, you've had a chat with uh, uh, with Jordan as well. So. And then Noel was a guest of the podcast, so you guys are hitting it all over. I can't, I can't control the numbers anymore. <laughs> but no, I'll give you a second to to, to intervene. But you know, I, you, uh, I don't, Max. Do you know Alita Tate over at Harvest? I didn't know. Yeah, exactly. We used to work uh, quite closely together. Actually, yeah. so we used to be on the operations side, so like helping to establish sort of the de-risking process of creating ventures in that space. Yeah, and then she was mostly on the. Um, of people side and also sales side for um, early stage ventures and the services that Harvest provides. The reason I mentioned Alita, she's been a two-time winner of the Golden Globe, no, (laughs) two-time podcast guest. Alita was on, she was the first one, the uh, the student one I did last February. Oh, awesome. Episode 244. 
And then we had a later one in, uh, I think, in June, uh, episode 304. So just I, when I noticed that you're part of a, uh, the Harvest Ventures team, so that or Harvest Builders team. So that's cool. Max, thanks. Uh, let's go, Noel. You are the second. This is your second podcast. So you're really hogging the, the podcast mic microphone. <laughs> go ahead, Noel. Introduce yourself, please. Yeah, I love being here. So. Um, I'm a third year software engineering student now and um, in my spare time I like to like see different things that I can do and recently it's been with uh, artificial intelligence and pre-hospital triaging uh, is one of the problems that I'm trying to tackle with that yes um, yeah so that's basically all I, Max I noticed on your PhD you had something with machine learning so maybe we can die. We can we cross pollinate that. No, I'm like taking notes already. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, I can't can't wait to speak a little bit more about that. And would love to hear what you're doing. Good. Okay, Atul. Uh, let's Atul introduce yourself, please. And this. So just to be clear, Noel and Atul are part of the software engineering department, and Jorge's on the other department. <laughs> we'll go into that in a second. So Atul, please introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Alan. Um, so yeah, my name is Atul. Um, I'm a third year as well at the University of Calgary studying software engineering uh, and also commerce. Um, in regards to some some like experience, I suppose, in, in this sort of in industry, I guess, that we'll be talking about, uh, I actually did work um, with a, uh, a group of about 10 to 14 people um, on a project that was surrounding basically um, getting doctors consultation at home through the usage of like IoT devices. Um, so with uh, the development of sort of special sensors, we could actually be able to get uh, important data that doctors could then use to give a sort of prescription or some kind of um, advice to patients without the patients actually needing to go to a clinic. So that was a project that um, I'd actually hopped in on. Um, it's about two years back, I'd say now. Um, and that was really cool. So yeah, I, th I think I'd, I'd really like to hear more about sort of the, the kind of up, up and coming things in this industry. Awesome. I actually want to respond to that because I'm like, blown away already. So we haven't even started the podcast really. Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, obviously a, a really, really exciting uh, project. And funnily enough, like during my PhD, I was involved in a study in, in Europe um, that was working with Intel and other companies to essentially use remote monitoring tools like your Apple Watch to actually use that stream data and then determine, you know, mm -hmm. like what state these patients are in, um, particularly focused on mental health issues. So yeah, would love to dive into that as well. That's a, that's a really cool project and definitely something that needs to be solved. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks to look last uh, Jorge, get that right. I pronounce it. I'm, I'm just badgering your name. So you go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi. Um, yeah, it's okay. You're doing fine. Uh, uh, my name is Jorge or Jorge or doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I am uh, computer science, uh, fourth year right now. I, my recent experience includes um, a 16 month internship uh, with a company called Black Mind Safety, uh, which is basically this is like a, has like an IoT that uh, manages a lot of safety for workers. So for remote workers mostly, not only, but uh, it started mostly with um, oil fields of people are like, they're very far from, from, uh, from anything and then they need, they need to have something to communicate and uh, so this company facilitates all this, uh, all the software and hardware. And now it's transferring more into like a SaaS, like a systems service company too. Uh, so I had a lot of experience there. Um, I'm still part-time um, in some company. Yeah. So yeah, and um, I know like Max, I said, your doctor, I, I did uh, start like uh, my medical degree when I was back in my country, which is Honduras. 
I couldn't finish it when I came here, but I'm really excited to ask some questions about it. That's awesome. Uh, just to, I mean, first of all, congratulations on being right on this entrepreneurial's journey. And I think that's super exciting. So I would love to hear more about that as well. But just to clarify, I'm not a medical doctor, actually, I have um, a PhD. So more on the academic side. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not like you were like on the, uh, you're, sorry, you're at the, uh, or the research and academia. Yes, yeah. yes. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Cool. I, guess I gotta I gotta share this because the black line literally when I was looking for students to you know from the computer science and to be clear so Jorge is part of the computer science track or different so we want I want to ask questions about that later but black line there's so many students over there I, I think they're tech, I thought they were an oil and gas company and, and it sounds like they got a real tech play going on over there yeah um actually so when I first started like because I got it last year um I had known what most about them but then um yeah, like they're very, very big. Actually, this is the, the important thing that they are small company compared to, for example, their competitors, which are huge. Um, but they have a lot of the market because uh, they do they do the software and hardware in-house. And, and they started with Canada, but now they're almost everywhere. They're in the States and they're in Europe and they're expanding everywhere. Okay, um, very cool. It is very exciting, uh, the things that they're doing. And mostly, too, it does help a lot of people uh, with their services. Okay, I, I didn't want to, de to de but I just I just wanted to share that with you. So let's, Jorge, sorry, I get your name. Sorry, I've pronounced this, but let's go first question for Max. I'm get, let's go right into it. Yeah, um, I guess um, my first question is like, how do you find this research that you were doing? Like, um, was, was it hard to start? Like uh, when, when you were doing your research, like what to find and what to focus on? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, my, my PhD was, kind of interesting in the way that um, I kind of fell into it and also how like my supervisor at the time encouraged me to go down certain paths. So to give you a bit of background, like I actually did not study computer science or, or any kind of engineering. I actually did a molecular genetics degree and I quickly found out that working in the wet lab wasn't really for me. And so I realized, hey, like DNA and um, you know the way that a cell works is actually very similar to computer programming and so I essentially started um, sort of specializing during my my bachelor's degree in, in, in bioinformatics and then uh, was supposed to start a PhD in um, in modeling protein structures um, but I was always very much interested in sort of product development digital product development um, for patients and for various kinds of users and so at the time when I started my PhD with my supervisor, he actually said, hey, look, like we have this awesome project here working with the mental health institutions in London. Um, and it just so happened that at the time I was like, wow, like we can use remote monitoring tools like Fitbits at the time um, to build mobile apps to essentially feedback information to patients, uh, to doctors, and then um, sort of try to make predictions around that. And that's, to be honest, how I got started. So there was a little bit of luck involved but then also the essentially trust of my supervisor to, to get going in that space. Thank you. Yeah. I got to say, you know, so for early episode, Richard uh, Hugh, Dr. Richard Hugh, he's an orthopedic surgeon. And I, you know, he was a company called Vivimetrica and exactly to, he was looking at uh, researching what after sort of after I call it, why don't we recovery post, you know, post, um, post-surgery and he started using the Fitbit and then it turned into this literally tracking and uh, the business called Vivimetrica, which he co-founded. Yeah. And I don't know if you know, do you know the company or? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm from England. Yeah. Okay, so the I'm a, so I was at his. Uh, I was down there, and he talked about just the, you know the whole um, the whole tech stack that they were using. But it started with just Fitbit tracking, and then I think into fitness fitness centers. And uh, the health insurers were really big on, it. and I think they sold last year to Sprott, some somebody out of Toronto. But anyway, cool that you you had that uh, link to Fitbit. It's a it's a really interesting business, and maybe Jorge to like kind of expand on on your questions a little because like there's also like the there's the research side, and then uh, the kind of like software engineering side, right? And so like um, I guess the the cool thing about academic research is that that you can kind of really get involved on. You know, how am I using this data? How how would users use this information? So really kind of dive into the sort of product development side. Um, and that actually allowed us, um, so during my PhD, kind of like scale the amount of studies that we were doing. So initially it was very much focused on sort of sleep, sleep monitoring of schizophrenia patients. Then we kind of got this grant um, from the European Union to expand to actually sort of cross-country mental health monitoring. And it really helped to not just hone in on the data science, let's say, so like, you know, consuming that these data streams from your Apple Watch or from your Fitbit to make essentially to deduce how these patients are behaving over time, but also how the products could look like um, and how we would deliver them to the patients. So really interesting things that can kind of come out of research, but also a lot of limitations because you essentially have grants and you're conducting research, um, you can kind of over-engineer the product in the sense that it's very interesting from like knowledge generation, but not from a, from a business model perspective, right? And so like, I think like, especially like, um, like the example that you gave um, earlier um, is a really interesting approach where like you kind of like, you potentially come out of research, you have that academic knowledge, but then you apply it very quickly to actually solving a business problem. Because um, once the once you sort of hit the actual revenue generation problems, you might realize that you actually have to adjust the way that your product actually works, which is always something or a challenge that when you come out of research applies to most of these products. I just really, I mean, the Cherry Health, talk to, to, you know, to Dr. Jordan Vorath, and it's literally the, the, disfrag the fragmented market of locum getting locum doctors gigs or work, right? And he's, uh, you'd think it's just a done deal, but that was, uh, you know, the, the kind of the, the genesis of that problem, like trying to get people working and when, I guess, when, when uh, COVID hit and so forth. But that's right to that point, Max, you guys have hit a, it, you know, a common area and you probably saw that harvest where the startups, what are your problem are you solving? And then go, you know, then go to the market or that, whatever. That's, that's exactly right. It's so like trying to kind of like be a little bit more thoughtful around that is is key um but at the same time like there's always risks involved and you will only know so much until you try and so at some point you just gotta move yeah all right let's let's roll over to a tool and uh fire away please yeah for sure uh, i kind of wanted to maybe just like build off a little bit about um, the experiences that you just mentioned um, regarding your transition from sort of academia um, to a, a more of a business context um, were there any kinds of other hurdles or challenges along the way that maybe you just didn't expect given the sort of transition between one 100 that's a great question actually um, it took me a while to kind of get over that because it was there were a lot of like failures that were involved along the way or challenges mm -hmm. then i 
it will be actually really interesting to hear. And so after, um, it will be great to hear your feed, your guys' feedback on like, I guess, like how your, your courses and universities are preparing you. So for the, for the real world or the working world after, but like me coming out of academia, I definitely struggled a lot initially with translating sort of the product ideas and the knowledge gained into formulating that into like a business proposition. And so actually after my PhD, I found my first company called uh, Vivum Health, which was focused on um, essentially matching patient records across data silos. So working with hospitals in London uh, and sort of helping them splice data together of patients that had comorbidities and had to go to different hospitals to be treated. And the problem was that, you know, the patients would come, but not all of the data would be available. So physicians need to make a decision on how to treat that patient without having all the information. And that's a very common problem across healthcare in general. And this data management problem isn't really solved. And so at the time we had a great product, um, but it was very difficult to scale beyond the hospitals um, in, in London. So I was lucky um, the university got involved and essentially were able to kind of move, move that company back into the university where it's, the technology is now being used for clinical trials. Um, and so that was a, a happy ending to some degree, um, but it also taught me a lot about product isn't everything. It's also making sure it fits into a viable business model that has the ability to scale. And that was one of the greatest lessons um, that I then took into the investment world, um, kind of like switching tables and helping other companies that are in that, in that field and struggle with these problems to kind of foresee that. But yeah, to kind of turn this question around, I would love to know how, you know, like your, your courses and respective universities are essentially preparing you to think that way. Um, yeah, sure. Um, actually, the, the, the reason I asked is, is specifically because it's something that's kind of been on my mind, um, having sort of gone through this academic journey. Um, I think the sort of current systems that exist in university are mainly, um, well, like, for example, at University of Calgary, they have what's called like the Hunter Hub um, for entrepreneurial thinking. So they are basically just a, a hub that sponsors a lot of events that try to get people interested in um, like entrepreneurship, regardless of, you know, this kind of industry that they get into. Um, they, they try to give a lot of sort of just funding, workshops, mentors, um, et cetera, et cetera, um, just to sort of give students who are interested in that field like a boost. Um, but I always have sort of wondered in that, the, in a sense that there's always, I feel like going to be kind of a, a disconnect um, that, you know, you won't really understand what it means to, to run a business or, you know, be a part of a business and grow that business until you actually get into the real world and start talking to people um, and, and building sort of from the ground up. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I do think it's very valuable to hear from, from people who have been through that journey, um, which is why I, I kind of asked that question. Hopefully, hopefully that kind of answers your question as well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And like, I can only encourage to like take, take advantage of these additional resources, even if you're not interested in like starting or running a business. I think every time you, you work for someone, they are running a business. And so if you understand how your work essentially relates to the metrics that they, is important to them, you always will have a, an edge, I think, compared to potentially fellow, fellow colleagues or, or um, at least understanding how to fill that business. Right. Yeah. Makes sense to me. 
let, you know, Noah, let's, let's put that to you because you came up with a, a, a little business that you're, you're working on that we, we talked on the podcast and maybe taking uh, Max's question and right into you before you ask him a question, Noah, what do you, how's your response to that? So um, about Hunter Hub, okay, I think like when I first started like venturing out and seeing like what are the different things I can do in like the like in a business sense, um, I think there's a lot of things that you don't see at first. Like um, when you talk to people, you see a lot of things about your idea that I've, when you think about it yourself makes a lot of sense to you. But like when other people like reflect and like, tell you about it then you see start to see like oh your business model doesn't really make that much sense and like i joined um hunter hub so that i can learn more about it in a structured way but it, it's it's i would i think like it doesn't replace what you can learn in the real world but it's definitely like one of the things that uh i'm having fun and taking advantage of you guys, because you guys are in different faculties. So Noel and Atul, you're in the software engineering track. Jorge, maybe from the computer science, uh, maybe you want to respond on that before we go to Noel on a question. Uh, sure. Um, I don't have any experience entrepreneur-wise, uh, but I do know that there are, I do have some friends that uh, have had experience with that. And myself, I always wondered um, how, how to start, like how to go from just tech computer science, software engineering, something business, something you can turn into a business. Um, regarding to, to how like the courses prepare you to self, I do not know about the entrepreneurial one, but about just the software development itself. Uh, it, it depends on where you go. Uh, if, for example, at least computer science is something that is the career is mostly specialized into making scientists. So if you want to go into the field of like doing your PhD or doing your master's and keep, keep on the researching, it's great because uh, you get all the theory, you get all the stuff. If you go into the other side of just software engineering, it's a little bit uh, harder, I would say, because you have all the theory and you have all the things that helps learn and research, but it doesn't help you do stuff. Like when you want to go for a job and you want to do specific things, unless you did it yourself because you would like it, you won't have that experience. You won't have that, uh, that advantage of someone else who, who tried. So in that sense, uh, at least computer science is not as good. Uh, it's preparing you for going to school to get a job. Um, but I knew they do know there's a lot of resources in university that you can, if you if you if you really want to, you can just go and, and get them. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you have a point. Like in general, universities are sort of the knowledge centers, and they're supposed to encourage academia and the academic pursuit. So I think um, there's always like that making sure the expectations are right. Um, at the same time, I can highly encourage, you know, when you do enter the workforce, like to familiarize yourself. And the fact that Kari, or University of Kari has the hunt up is, is fantastic because you get to have some of that theoretic knowledge that you can then potentially apply on your first job. So like your, your venture pursuits. Um, I, I just have to give another plug to my past, some of my past guests and Jorge, you're working for Blackline. I personally think you're getting, you're getting that practical experience and I, I'm going to test Max later on some of these questions, but literally, you know, like Noel's got a business going, Atul's had some, you know, experience. I, I'm finding more from the pod, my my experience with talking to students. They're already doing businesses, and there was a book a long time ago called "What They Don't Teach You at Harvard Business School," and it literally today, you know, the podcast I'm having or some of the students I'm inter interacting with, they're learning things that 
miles ahead of people that have been in business for four or five, whatever it is, you know, outside of university. So I wanted to share that. But Noel, I've done enough talking. I want you to ask a question to Max and hit him hard. Like he really, he, like he's sitting back, he's relaxed. He's got a big smile on his face. Yeah, come on, make me, make me sweat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, I have two questions actually. Um, so what, my first question would be like, what what makes a good health tech startup? Because I saw your website and you're involved with a lot of companies. And like, I would like to know what makes a good startup. And the second one is like going back to the point about universities being like great for academic pursuit. A lot of people are starting to think that um, maybe universities are not the best for something like that. And like, like uh, people speculate that companies like Apple and Microsoft are coming out with their own like programs and stuff. So what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Okay, so like the second one, I think is something where we can kind of become also a little bit more philo philo philosophical. Um, would love to talk about that a bit more, but like, yeah, to your, to your first question, like what makes a good sort of founding team and I guess specifically like a health tech team? I think that especially you guys are extremely well situated um, to be part of a founding team. Um, Usually what, what is missing is two, two things very often when a business gets started. Like person tends to have a good idea and then doesn't really know how to execute it properly. Um, so the, the main factors that I think need to be there are you know, understanding the actual problem. So having that expert in the room that understands you know, who is having the problem, is it worth solving for, and are people willing to pay money for it? or how do you intend to monetize that? And then the second piece, and the monetization piece doesn't always need to be there from the beginning. I think people, a lot of sort of business models get rewritten as you grow and as you sort of develop. And then the other one is, is the, the technical expertise to be able to execute on that. Technical expertise is not always required. It really depends on the type of business that you wanna build. But when we talk about technology specifically, I think having someone who knows how to how software works, how to build stuff effectively can be really valuable. Like whether you in the end decide to outsource things or build things in-house, it really helps to get things started in a scrappy way. And so um, I can kind of just reflect on Cherry Health, for example. So Dr. Jordan Rohrath, my co-founder, he is a medical doctor. So he has that medical credibility and understanding of what physicians need. And it's also able to speak to essentially our user base, right? And, and they take them seriously, which is, which is really important. Um, and then my other co-founder, Adrian Mitchell, he has had um, over 20 years experience of working with, within tech and within uh, tech companies, um, which is extremely helpful um, to help operationalize some of these businesses, especially on the marketing and sales sides. And then for me, I kind of bring the health technology in knowledge, but mostly also the technical expertise to start executing on things. And so I think those are like the things to look out for that you always have someone who actually understands the problem properly and has been exposed to it. And then also the ability to execute. And then lastly, there are single like founding com founder companies and they can be extremely successful. I've been there in my first company and it's, really rough like especially when the going gets tough not having someone there you can confide in and like who can kind of pump you back up when things things are not looking so good it gets it just gets really tough because everything lands on you and so like 
I highly recommend kind of like trying to find that that partner that you want to go through battle with to some degree uh, and, and get started. Yeah. I think it's important. And Max, I wanted to, to know for you, if you are a single founder, look at, check out the Y Combinator. They have a startup school and, they, and part of that startup school is to find a founder. There's another company out of, it's called Entrepreneur First out of the UK. And the same thing, um, they, they, they run programs where they find founders, tech founders, match them with non-tech founders. Just, I mean, just put those two in your radar and you never know what you're going to uncover. But the Y Combinator is a pretty, it's pretty close. And the, the Entrepreneur First one, the reason that those, you know, I heard, I've listened to podcasts and those were mentioned. Those two companies were mentioned. I mean, I've known about Y Combinator, but their startup school, uh, it just it speaks to what Lyle Max was saying about, you know, what they look for in, in companies. So anyway. Yeah. And I, I, by the way, I didn't mean to discourage anyone who is a single founder. Like, I think that's awesome. Like all the power to you and um, the fact that you took the lead is, is incredible. I, I'm just saying like, it makes it a lot easier if you can find someone else that you can work with 100%. Let's, let's go right to Jorge. Get another question from well, Hold on, hold on. There was oh, the second so go ahead. Question. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. There was the second question. Yeah, exactly. The, the little bit more difficult one. Um, Look, I think it really depends. Like, so the question just to repeat was like, you know, do university degrees still carry the same weight? Um, and like, especially like other, you know, especially companies now like um, Amazon and like you said, Apple and Microsoft offering their own um, sort of courses. I think it has a lot of value, especially, you know, given, especially in the US and also here where um, the type of loans that you need to take out to essentially fund your education can become really prohibitive. And so, I mean, Amazon's model, for example, is it's like, hey, you get to work for us and you get education for free, right? So it's kind of like you, you already start out with like potentially like 200K less in, in, in debt, which is obviously amazing. So I think particularly when it comes to like, there, there are multiple aspects to this, right? Like, why do you go to university? There's the um, there's the educational aspect, like the pure knowledge, pursuit of knowledge without necessarily having to like fall back onto like the, the real world um, metrics that a business requires to actually function, which can be very liberating and allow you to kind of explore what you are actually passionate about. Um, I think that is really interesting and very important to be able to have that safe space, especially in the early days where you're still kind of figuring out what you want to do. Um, and then there's the, uh, the credibility that comes from like having a degree from an institution, right? Um, which opens doors 100%. I do I think that this will change or is changing at the moment. I think so. Like, I think it depends on the industry though. Like, especially in when it comes to like engineering and computer science, I may be biased because I'm sort of self-taught and then I fell into the PhD and was able to kind of like expand on my knowledge. Um, I'm 100% encouraging people and like at, at Sherry as well, we have self-taught engineers and I find that they're extremely effective. So to kind of answer your question, I love that there are alternatives out there um, that cost less money and are less traditional, um, but also know what that means for you, um, where for example, in other industries, a degree still counts a lot, I think. Wonderful, wonderful answer. And I wanted to 
test you on this one then. The, the technology is changing rapidly. I mean, the, the Atul Noel and uh, Jorge are in right now learning, but the tech stack is rapidly changing all across. I mean, what do you say to them with that? You know, it's at 40,000 view, you look at, you'd get lost. What should I study? What should I do? Maybe you can speak a little bit about some of the tech stack that you use and how would you, rec how would you recommend, you know, their, how they look at it over the next two, three months, two, three years. Yeah, that's a really good question. And the, the technology changes so quickly. Um, it is really difficult to kind of like say, okay, this is what I'm going to learn. And then this is going to get me through my career. It's never going to happen. I mean, like, I guess like everyone in this room knows this. So it's really just more so about like picking, I think like pop popular sort of like general technologies that are helpful to find, like to help you prepare to get into the workforce. And then they're always like these sub technologies or like these small niche technologies that can be really helpful to actually propel you forwards and get into that specialization space. So one example, for example, um, we used um, not anymore. So to, I can expand on two things. So for example, at Cherry Health right now, we're completely serverless. I uh, mean, we're using AWS um, cloud and use the server stack, so Lambda existing services. And I think pre, like only a few months ago, that would have been considered insanity because you're sort of subscribing to the lock-in problem of AWS cloud. Um, so you're relying on services that you don't really have a lot of control over. And that's 100% true. Um, you can potentially guard against that by trying to write your code in a way that you can sort of transition from different cloud providers. But there's definitely a lock-in problem. At the same time, though, it allows us to build scalable technology extremely fast without having to think about anything infrastructure-related. Um, and I know exactly that we're going to run into the issue at some point. But for now, you know, what counts in a business, especially when you're early stages, nobody cares about you know, how you orchestrate your server landscape. What you care about is, is that you can deliver your product to customers and it works. And so I think at scale, 100%, you need to worry about like, you know, um, how things scale, how costly things get and these kind of things. But especially in the early days, um, that decision has worked really well for us. And so that is something that's actually growing more and more. And so like, especially these growing technologies is something that I think is a good bet to get familiar with. Um, but to kind of give you an answer, I think the, the mantra is, is trying to just stay up to date with what's currently happening, what the trends are, and then trying to, like, trying to kind of cater to that. Um, Jorge, I think, like, especially with you, like on the computer science, like computer science side, like you must be familiar with that. Like things are changing all the time, you know, particularly from like a computing processing perspective, we are like on a 10 X multiple. Now we've, we've gone away from the Moore's law where like every two years, our like compute capacity doubles. It's now actually every two years. Like I think over the past four years, it, it what's the term, right? Oh, it increased by a magnitude. So 10 times the, the amount that it was previously. So it's just like things that have not been possible before are now becoming possible, which means new methodologies can be devised and used. And I think the gist of it is things will be moving fast. They will be moving faster. So trying to stay on top of it is the key. 
I, Jorge, you go. I don't, I don't think he needs a question. He's answered everything. That's really good, but thank you, Max. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Um, I, I see it all the time, like mostly in my recent experience. Um, you see when you're in a company, how things change just in one year. Uh, like when I first started, they were using something. When I finished, like actually before I finished, they changed the thing two times. Because uh, like in a business, like you said, like uh, this is what leads to my question too. Um, because like when you're in the business, as a developer, also it's like as someone who knows about the code and, and the programming stuff, you want to get the most efficient, the best thing ever, right? To get to make your program the best thing or your product the best that it can be. But as a business perspective, sometimes that doesn't that doesn't align. So like mostly when you're starting uh, a company, how do you how do you balance that? Like how do you balance uh, for example like investor tells you, yeah, I'm gonna give you this amount, but I want this result in this amount of time. And then you're like, okay, I can give you this, but if I do this, I have to cut these corners. Like, how do you balance that business and efficiency wise? Are you asking me? Yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's a daily battle. <laughs> Honestly, like, but because uh, I 100%, like, if you were able to do it right the first time, the potential technical debt that you acquire over time becomes less. And so you can move further um, at higher speed. But like the, in, the, the initial investment sometimes just can be prohibitive. And so you just have to admit that like, yes, I'm going to build this and potentially I have to rebuild in three months. Um, but if you make that decision, then there needs to be a very good reason for why you're doing it. Um, so maybe there are some business goals or some objectives that you want to achieve in a given amount of time or you need um, to bolster certain numbers that maybe, you know, the, 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 the business team wants to provide to their investors. Um, and those are really good reasons for why you want to cut corners. Yeah. Did you want to go for a part B of that? Cause I... <laughs> do you have anything I'll, else? I'll, do you want to add, do you want to add to that for guys? Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, no, no. All right. Atul, you want to jump in? I mean, yeah. maybe I, I have a question. Sorry, sorry, Andrew, and like we can go. Go ahead, Max. Yeah. Like, how, how do you, um, Jorge, like, how, how do you find you guys are solving this problem? And better, better question yet, like, do you think it's frustrating? It's a good question. Um, so, how, how do you, how do you solve it? Um, I'm not sure. I was never involved in like the decision making, of course. So, I was an intern, but I did see some, some, uh, not conflicts, like so, some things, like for example, we, we, we plan to do it some way, uh, this way, but it, it just maybe took too long. Or maybe uh, it didn't just align with, with what the customer wanted in a specific sense. Um, so yeah, we just had to compromise. So it, I don't know if this is like a trend in tech, but the team that compromises always suffer. Uh, or like the people who like to build things. It's never, or almost never the people who, who who wants the stuff, right? Um, it's, uh, it's, I would say 70, 40, sorry, 70, 30, something like that. Um, and the way that we dealt with it was just like, yeah, it's just, I think the more you work on it and the more you are doing this kind of stuff, you just get used to it that this is gonna happen. So you kind of plan for it. Like you kind of do like, okay, I know that this, this is gonna be the next step or I know that they're gonna ask me something like this. So I'll just plan to see how I can, how I can uh, do it in, the, in how they want it to be without compromising too much. Yeah, 100%. And, and also like without necessarily blocking yourself so much that you will, it will become impossible to work, right? So like that's, that's the constant balance. 
yeah, yeah. pretty interesting the tool sorry i i inter interjected there yeah no worries no worries um i it was actually kind of nice to hear more about sort of um what what experiences jorge has had has had as well um and sort of yeah sort of reflecting on those experiences kind of how we we deal with the changing sort of um, tech stack or just in what yeah any kinds of updates that we have to sort of deal with um but what i wanted to actually ask was are you doing any kinds of maybe like uh i guess i could classify this as research and development um in terms of any kinds of like new technologies or maybe updates to existing technologies to either keep you uh, make like either improve your sort of uh, competitiveness in the existing market or, you know, just improve efficiency or any, any other kind of goal that you have. Is there anything um, that you've been looking into? Yeah, really good question. So I would say, and it's the timing is great because like initially we were focused on, we needed to hit like, the product needed to hit a certain level of sophistication, um, which uh, to go beyond the like usual CRUD application, right? So like data in, data out, and like being able to manip manipulate it, um, and and doing that while while you have a great user experience, essentially. And so um, I think it took us like as scrappy as we have been in terms of like trying to get this product out as quickly as possible, getting feedback and improving it. We are, we are now at this point where we are able to execute on some of these extra pieces. So what I mean, what do I mean by that? Like, I think from our perspective, what creates value beyond the, what we're providing right now, which is essentially helping physicians find other job opportunities. And through that connecting and, and being able to kind of um, solve that fragmentation issue that exists in healthcare. Um, to put it into context, so right now, the industry is basically impossible to reach physicians. They have to send out physical people, call people up at their clinic to visit them and talk to them about their, their products and see whether this is of, of interest to them. Um, and you know they have no no easy way to digitally access these physicians and tell them about their solutions and neither do physicians have the ability to talk amongst themselves like they can't really find themselves um, and this is where you know smart application of the data that we've been able to collect to improve their ability to find the information that's relevant to them becomes really really useful and I mean, recommender systems, so the ability to find sort of personalized information to them, that there's nothing new there, but the data that we're collecting is new and is really hard to get. And I think um, to kind of look at that from a, from a data play perspective, our goal is not to sell data or like um, to give that information away to third parties. It's, it's really more so about building in an extra layer of sophistication to help the user have a better experience um, and find, find information that is relevant to them. And so to answer your question, initially, um, especially when you're kind of starting out, and it always depends on the type of business, um, it was just bare bone work for us, like getting the app out there, getting sort of the server side going so that we can essentially ensure that the people have the right experience and can find things in the first place. And now we are all about like making, improving the experience and um, providing sort of a personalized um, solution for them. And for
Oh, have I been on mute? Oh, Max, that was just me pushing. I was trying to push my own on mute. So sorry if I cut you off, guys. I don't know, Max, sorry, but I... That's all right. That's all right. You got, if, you, if you heard everything, let me know. Otherwise, I'll repeat myself. No idea. It was just that last second I was going to get on and oh, I yeah, hit you instead. I was looking at you and I wanted to unmute my button. But I wanted to ask you about the data science side of it. And I know that maybe, maybe it's a little bit early. Uh, yeah, Atul said just the last couple of seconds. So um, I wanted to go back to the data science. Just do you map? Are you getting to that point where you're mapping some of the data that's coming? You know, maybe number of visits, kind of the, the hours, you know what I mean? Because you're going to have a whole slew of data is going to go as you, you know, the number of, of the locum doctors get on your network and then the clinics that use their services. Is that something you're going to look at, the data science side of it? 100%. And so we're actually quite lucky. I mean, um, my background is quite useful in that, but then um, our co-founder, Aidan Mitchell, he actually has a master's degree from the University of Cairo um, in health data science. So looking exactly at that kind of information. Um, additional information, and now we're getting, getting, I guess, more so into um, sort of monitoring your, your, your business's health is also just being able to pull out that information and sort of make business decisions, right? So like data-driven decision-making is something that um, is, is really valuable and, 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 and key to essentially make sure that you push the company in the right direction. Um, and so that, that is something that uh, sort of initially was the goal, but we always knew that the data uh, that we collect will be the value to our users in the, in the first place. And so very early on, we made decisions to um, structure our data in a way that it will become useful for later purposes. Um, so building out you know, data analysis pipelines and then being able to slot in um, various algorithms that we want to apply. Um, and that gives us the modularity to essentially kind of level up over time, right? So initially it's about like bare bones services, then about like the initial um, personalization aspect. So can we actually you know, provide you information that's relevant to you? And, and then incrementally improving that by sort of switching out um, specific modules in our architecture and applying new ones. Yeah, because I mean, this, I literally, I had the conversation with uh, the Calgary Food Bank. And so the social, he said, some of the social agencies that they use, he said, I was getting data from them because they're not really sophisticated. A lot of the clinics probably don't have the same data or not data, but the tech stack. So he said, we were pulling data from them and then he, we, we, he was spitting it back. He said, we were giving them information about the movement of some of the customers through the food bank. And, and he said, where'd you get this from? We got it from you. So I just want to close this off because you know James McCare from food bank, he said, I'm hiring data scientists now. And that was the thing he was, that was a couple of years ago. So I, I don't know, but I, just yeah. to tell, I wanted to stop them because I think it's yeah, incredible. It's, it's, yeah. it's really interesting how, um, you know, businesses usually sit on a lot of information and simply because they didn't need to, I think in the past, they don't really know what they're sitting on and how they can op optimize their operations, right? So like for, like for us, for example, it's like even like these, um, like the clinic profiles that we have and the information that we can provide the clinics um, just based on who is looking at their profiles, uh, which physicians show interest um, and what kind of feedback they provide to the clinics, like they never had that before. So, you know, how to, for example, optimize for patient intake um, so that clinics can optimize their treatment schedule and things like this. That is very difficult. And 
essentially every clinic is its own little business that is trying its best to operate as effectively as possible, but they never really have that ability to see and measure how other people respond to it. And that is essentially what, what we provide. And um, I, I think that is providing the edge to some degree. Um, but to expand on that, I think that this problem is not just in healthcare, it's, it's everywhere, right? Where sort of some of these small to medium-sized businesses, even very large ones, have so much information that they don't quite know how to operationalize. You, you can add on this one, but Max, I just heard the Shopify of health. Look, literally, you guys, you, as you just said, the, the, each of those small businesses, those clinics, if you provide those, you know, that data mapping, keep the confidentiality, privacy, uh, you know, unique, but just provide that tech stack. I, I'm sorry, it's going to be the cherry health of uh, Shopify or something, something like that. Yeah, I mean, it, deep down, that's to some degree what the big vision is. Um, the, the, the biggest problem always, um, especially in the business that we're in, is it's like data acquisition and then being able to kind of keep your customers happy so that they come back, right? And so the way that we essentially provide this, so I mentioned in the beginning, we're essentially a medical network. But when you look at our website, it actually is a medical staffing solution. And that's because it's the, the common denominator across healthcare professions and specialists that they have a problem with. And so it is that first step to help get people onto the platform, create that critical mass, and then we can expand from there and kind of ex expand our value proposition pool. Um, so that, that is our strategy in this place. Noel, you want to fire, fire away? Yeah, I still got a lot of questions. So, um, okay. Um, okay, first off, um, it seems that a, like a lot of companies that you're involved in, like you mentioned about the data silos and Cherry Health also, like they try to like find inefficiencies in healthcare and try to solve them. So you know, like what are some other inefficiencies that you see in healthcare care that could potentially use a solution? Yeah, really good question. Healthcare is a very interesting industry to kind of like try and make more efficient. The problem is, is like, you know, how, how does like software usually operate, right? Like you, um, what is the famous mantra at Facebook? It's like, go and break things or like try and break things and then improve on it. I forgot what the actual wording was like, maybe you guys know, but um, you can't do that in healthcare. Like if you break things, people potentially die. And so that to some degree is the, the biggest hurdle in like introducing new technology in healthcare, which is like, you know, you have very like to some degree antiquated systems um, and treatment pathways and how information flows from one place to the, to the other that has been proven over decades and it works. And so everybody knows that it should be better, but the solution needs to be better reliably. And, and that is usually met when you have a solution met with a lot of risk aversion that makes it actually quite difficult for new companies, especially new health technology companies to break into that space because you need credibility. You need to show that you've, you've solved this problem effectively and it's helping the physician or the patient um, to get better over time and not put people at risk, right? And so like the, the more you actually move into like applications in the hospital where people tend to go that have 
um, more severe uh, problems, the higher the risk, the higher the impact that you know your technology could potentially help, but also not help. And so um, I think that that is like the difficulty when you look at solutions. I think there's so many in terms of biggest problem is patient um, retention and patient um, ability to essentially get their treatments properly. So I think 60% of all patients um, do not tend to take their drugs appropriately, for example, which then has impacts on their health outcomes and um, the ability to um, essentially get better, right? And so that, that is a problem that um, is starting to get solved by like patient, um, patient um, re-engagement technologies uh, where there's a lot less risk. Um, but then as you start moving more so into sort of treatment optimization solutions, um, you run into um, the ability to potentially actually have a lot of impact, but also the risk of, or like the, the slow moving works of a healthcare system that is trying to kind of maintain the effectiveness of, of their solution and the treatments. Sorry, that's a long winded answer, but it's kind of like the, the battle that you have when you enter healthcare. It's, it's amazing you talk about drug adherence because I got I was working a few years ago with a company out of uh, UK and I, I only learned about that problem what you said so tracking the data and so the data they were using blockchain to separate the privacy or the confidentiality of the patient and then using just the pure data and I, I don't know where they are today but they, you know the idea was exactly that if you didn't take your pills and you're getting incorrect data the patient they actually are they recovered they didn't take their whole prescription right through. I mean, I, have, I probably have a drawer full of uh, antibiotics that we never finished, the, you know, fully through. So that there's that data again. Like, what's the data, and is it manipulated, or can you manipulate? It? So anyway, yeah, and and maybe um, to expand that, and no one kind of like give it a bit more precise, like landscape of the opportunities, right? So like when you think of um, like a human being as like, and, and it's the person's lifespan, right? Like you kind of like, you grow up, you tend to have potentially some issues as you grow up, but then you kind of enter that phase in which the majority of people are quite healthy. Um, they have a certain lifestyle. And then over time, they start developing acute or chronic conditions that they then enter the healthcare system with, right? And so our healthcare systems in general over the past have always been focused on treating acute problems. Like we're really good at like healing broken bones, but we are not very good at like preventing chronic conditions. So the preventative care aspect and actually providing care on a chronic level um, for a long period of time. So think of like diabetic patients or asthma patients, for example, like they will they tend to have problems for the rest of their lives. And it's about treating these patients effectively so that they have a good quality of life that we also struggle at, right? And so some, some companies, so struggle at from a, from a caring and treatment perspective and also from, a social, from an economic standpoint because those tend to be the most costly health conditions that a healthcare system needs to care for essentially. And so, Preventative care is the holy grail 
but it's also the time when young people feel like basically invincible and they think they're never going to die and they're never going to have these problems so why should i change my lifestyle um you know so that that is i think one of the biggest difficulties so like how to solve chronic conditions and and improve quality of life and then the other one is how to enable people to take preventative steps that will significantly improve the quality of their life as they age um, and get them to adhere to it. I think those two things are like the greatest population health opportunities um, and problems that should be solved and are also being solved right now or actively being invested in. Awesome. Thanks. Noel, you said Noel, you said you had a lot of questions, so g give one more. We'll give, and then to get, we'll go back to uh, Jorge. Okay. Um, okay. Also, um, for okay, how would you go about uh, building credibility? Because, like for example, like if you make uh, like an artificial intelligence system, like you can only do so so much. Like you can say that oh, it agrees with doctors four out of five times, but like how do you build credibility for such a product it's a really good question and i think it always depends on the type of product that you're building and where it applies like finding early adopters and these champions that can help you help test the product give you feedback is sort of the first the first step to building a track record right and the track record is super helpful because essentially it gives you validation to some degree. And then depending on the technology that you're working on, um, especially in healthcare, you very quickly run into sort of like regulatory requirements, right? And those can be quite heavy hurdles to overcome. And so it's, I think, advisable to try and get as close to the solution as possible without having to, to adhere to regulation because that will allow you to essentially test the product faster and quicker and you get feedback faster and quicker and you can get to market faster and quicker. In some aspect that just doesn't work, right? So like if you build, for example, um, uh, computer vision algorithms that look at X-ray um, images, like the, uh, the type of decision-making that a physician is essentially now supported with it, it falls under regulation. And so from that perspective, the, the best way to go is, is like try and get into studies as fast as possible. So work with these physician champions, for example. And then that is validation often enough to actually raise funds that will then get you to that next hurdle. So the reg regulatory compliance and the, the necessary quantity of data you need to, to support you um, from a credi credibility standpoint. They are also completely different ways of doing it. So um, at Cherry Health, for example, we kind of go with the grassroots approach, something that Slack also did extremely well, um, where basically you, we have a product that isn't regulated at the moment. So we don't need to comply with medical regulation, just with like standard privacy regulation. And so what that allows us to do is, is a physician can simply make that decision by herself or by himself to use our solution. And that allows um, us to market to them to directly um, and build credibility through general adoption rather than having to go through you know, hospitals or larger organizations 
that have a much more stringent way um, of looking at products and, and uh, procuring them. Okay, cool, thanks. Okay, let's move over to you and we'll get a throw another question at Max. Uh, yeah, uh, we were talking about the preventive care uh, in healthcare, that should be something very important. Um, with this whole uh, COVID thing, do you think that now that the COVID like actually discovered, like made us think differently about how healthcare should, who should be managed and should be like focused maybe, do you think it will help uh, for the future to like prevent more things? Because now we see what something can do, not only to a country, but like, to the whole world. So maybe like there, maybe there will be more research on something or maybe more use of machine learning to predict some stuff. Hopefully, hopefully. I think so first of all, like the, that, that piece where I mentioned, like when you look at healthcare in particular, the piece where I was like saying like healthcare is um, um, has difficulty adopting new technologies. I think that is definitely something that is changing um, simply because of the pressure that COVID related things had to change, right? So patient booking solutions, telehealth solutions, like all these kind of things were much more readily adopted um, compared to the rate of adoption that was happening prior to COVID. Um, new testing technologies, the speed at which new drugs were brought to market or vaccinations is unheard of, right? And you can argue that to some degree that is not good uh, and it's good to have a regulatory cycle there, but it certainly helped to push things through and make things uh, more, people more open to these ideas. Um, whether that sticks with us, I don't know. Um, I think as sort of we return to normal and we have the capability that we had previously, some technologies will stick and some may not or will become more scrutinized compared to how they were before. Um, but when you look at it from like a population level on a national and, and global level, um, I think that a lot of lessons were learned on a healthcare as well as just general economic level that hopefully will help to prevent these things going forward, right? So like supply chain problems, massive issue simply because of all the so offshoring, people are not talking about onshoring and creating buffers in the supply chain so that you don't run into the same issue. So those, all of these things will actually create a lot more um, need to make predictions about you know, how you need to manage your business so that you can insulate yourself, on, insulate yourself for these larger risks at hand. And I actually just recently read an article that that is a space that is booming right now simply because of the 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 new need for it thank you i want to expand on that a little bit max there was a and, and jorge there was a biontech the co-founder of biontech was uh ugor sahin i think he's from germany and uh he during he said uh, we rolled into 2020 we were working on a health a cancer our technology was focused on cancer someone approached him in january whatever when when the whole thing came i think the moderna people approached him and said can you apply this to our mRNA or I, I'm not the expert, but I just, this is vivid. He's like, yeah. So it was like that tech, the tech, what they were doing. I think Max, you're, you alluded to this earlier about the tech, the technology of, of biology came into play and you know where Biontech and Moderna are today. Yeah. And I think that this will have, I mean, obviously 
it, it kind of like uh, was the reason that a lot of like caches in their coffers now that they can now apply to some of these other solutions that they had in the pipeline previously. But I also think that, you know, for this new technology like mRNA to be, I, I think the adoption of that technology is now heavily accelerated simply because basically the entire population, 7 billion people, not quite yet, but we, we're getting there has been treated with this, this solution, right? And so um, that is a massive data set that shows that mRNA technology is effective and can now be deployed in other solutions. And so, um, you know, applying this new technology may have been a little bit of a blessing in disguise because it now helps to accelerate some, some of these cancer treatment trials, for example, and the acceptance of this new technology where previously a lot more data would have been required to potentially push these things. That is like speculation. Um, but I really think that, you know, using the technology that BioNTech has used or, M or, or Moderna is now potentially actually benefiting other treatments that use the same technology, simply because there's so much precedent. Cool. It's, it's a little easier because Max is really, he's, he's worn down. We've, we've worn him down. A little easier question now to go soft on. <laughs> no, keep going. That's all good. <laughs> I'll try my best. Um, actually, this is maybe a, a little bit of a different subject. Um, I was just curious to know about kind of um, the growth of your team technology wise. Um, so, so what I mean by that is like, um, how, how exactly did you go about expanding um, your, your group um, from just the co-founders to actually hiring employees? Um, like what kind of tests did you do? Because I know that, um, you know, a lot of software positions, what they kind of rely on is just like these, these programming tests or coding tests where they, they'll ask you a couple of questions about like basically different data structures that we use. And then they kind of use base, base your whole knowledge off of that um, kind of one test more times, more often than not. Um, so I, I kind of just wanted to know sort of what, um, your experience was, was either in with Cherry Health or maybe even your past organizations, how you kind of went about that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that um, no size fits all. Um, many companies that I know, especially when they reach a certain size, they, like you said, they fall back to these development tests because it helps you to quantify, right? Like when you have like, um, certain certain roles to hire for like the more specific the roles i think the more the, the more important tests and and specific knowledge becomes um right now the way that we've we're growing we're kind of like um we had one lead um front-end developer quite recently who's who's amazing and then also full stack developer um where so if the general knowledge around the topic was almost more important and like the, the, the technology than like specific coding problems. Because like what matters most in, you know, when you want to move fast is that you have people with the right attitude being able to like triage, okay, what's important right now? What do I need to work on? And can work in an environment where there tends to be a little bit more stress and things are changing often, like trying to limit that, but things are changing. And so um for for cherry health specifically we were looking at like the code that they've written um did some interview or some sort of 
um, reference checking by talking to the previous employers. Um, and then mostly just assessing their their ability or their, their willingness to learn and just their, their general composure. Like if they're excited, if they're happy to kind of push and like don't mind, um, you know, like if there is like something heavier to do and stay up that night, like that is an important thing. If you are willing to learn and if you're willing to kind of push, you've got the right guy, in my opinion. Because um, like every technology stack is different anyway. So as people transition from one to the other, they have to relearn a lot of these pieces. Um, and so it's just about being able to relearn fast and applying them. Um, but as I said, I think the more specialized you get, the more valid the tests become, right? So like if you, for example, go into like a very specific data science problem, it is very good to know that people have that knowledge and that, that understanding. And again, that's like, that's sort of my philosophy. Um, there, there might very well be very good reasons for why you should test every time, but I don't really belief in them especially when you look at like general more general roles or more leadership roles the real test is is when they get started and start working that's really helpful that's very i mean that's practical uh, advice but jorge what i mean maybe you could share with uh, with the the group here your experience getting when you got onboarded to blackline and maybe the two or three things that you want to take away you could take away from and others could sorry yeah, for sure. Um, it was actually it was actually interesting. I was thinking about a question related to that too. Um, what was interesting is like when I started Blackline, I was me and my my other friend. Uh, we were the first interns, so they never had interns before. They've only had your senior people, junior people with experience. Uh, so they did not know if they were ready to have new people mm -hmm. uh, and how they should hire these new people who basically have no knowledge other than school, but no like industry knowledge. Um, so I found it very interesting that, uh, like Max is saying, when when I got my interview, uh, I did a few like a lot of interviews during my internship seeking, uh, and most of them were like that. Like, I'll give you a code, give me the answer, or like I'll give you a problem, give me the like the step by step solutions, or or give me algorithm, describe it to me those kind of things, like very technical questions. Uh, but for Blackline, for this other company that I interviewed, they were just uh, they they asked basic questions just to make sure that you have the basic understanding. But what they were looking at is like, how fast can you learn? Um, how passionate about you are, what you're doing? Uh, and how good would you like, to see how good you are, like how like how good you can talk, how good you can express yourself or things like that. So simple things like that they were looking at. And later I learned that the reason they do it like that is because they found out that it was better to hire someone that maybe doesn't have all the technical ability, but it has to like the, the, the drive to learn and like the drive to to keep pushing like you said uh because like let's say that you you have two people that you're gonna hire and one of them is like super smart and has like maybe five times the efficiency of the other person but maybe this person is very arrogant or has like it doesn't doesn't he's not a very good good teammate so maybe he will like do a really good job on his on his work but he will drag the whole team down because of the way that he is or she is um, while the other person might not be as efficient, but he can learn more and be a better teammate. So at the end, it's just better to go to that other person because you at least get someone that can is willing to learn and can learn fast. Um, so at least that was my experience uh, when I went back time. And it was great. Like I, I learned so much just from being there. There was great people there, a lot of mentoring. People were willing to help. 
Uh, I think this is how something like, I don't know if this applies to small companies or like startups, because like when you're a startup, I think they just want to keep going fast. But like when you have a company, like a medium-sized company, uh, having people that can help other people just like to keep growing instead of just focusing on what you're doing and just being like, no, this is my job. I'm not going to do anything else. But trying to help other teammates or even uh, juniors, people in software development, it actually it's not only help the people who you're helping, but it actually helps the company too, because everybody gets knowledge. The people who teach gets knowledge, but like teaching and the people, the person who is like getting the knowledge, of course, gets all the knowledge and the experience. Uh, so I found that very useful, and uh, yeah, it was it was great to to hear from from Max that has the experience of starting a company. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's awesome that like. Um... That I think the company that you work for is is, is operating that way because I think, you know, especially in the beginning, like it's it's all about like I think giving people the exposure and 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 the trust that they can execute and and also with that the like the responsibility and I think that in many cases gets people fired up because they want to build something that's meaningful and if you give them the opportunity then more often than not you you have someone awesome building something really cool and like that that's that is what that is what value is yeah do you have any questions for the student i mean they've they've fired off a lot of questions and uh, i know noel probably still has a couple but any any burning question you want to ask them and i know you've kind of alluded to it in terms of the program and uh atul and noel are on the third year and and it looks like jorge you're going to graduate soon so any questions you want to ask them max yeah i mean first of all i think like I mean, like for all this stuff that you've been talking about and the things that you've been doing is, it's really inspiring. And it's really cool to see like, you know, what you guys are thinking about. Um, so as you kind of reach graduation and, and, and go beyond. And so like, I guess like my, my question is, is like, you know, what are you guys excited about? Where would you like to take this? Um, and in particular, now that you're sort of like thinking about like where you're going, Jorge, you kind of already made that, you're already like a step further there, but like what is of interest to you coming out of school? Like, would you like to like get excited, like get into like small companies immediately and do the sort of the hardcore learning experience thing? Or is it the, is it the Google and the Facebooks of the world that like excite you? Like where, where that your interest lie and why? Um, okay, for, for me, it's, uh, I'm looking for an internship at a small company. Uh, I think like in smaller companies, it's like, there's a lot more opportunity to grow. I feel like, because in larger companies, you have a specific set role and you go and you execute and you do it as to the best of your ability. But in small companies, there's a lot of opportunity to like pivot, to try different technologies and stuff like that. So uh, right now for, for me, like I want to get into a small company, um, in, uh, but I'm not sure after graduation how that might change because I still have a little bit of time before. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we should catch up after. <laughs> space. <laughs> awesome. Cool, you wanna? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, as for me, I think, I actually, it's definitely something that's obviously been on my mind as, as we get closer and closer to sort of graduation date. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know if I really have an, a specific preference. Um, I think 
both sort of well when i say both i mean like it's like small business versus you know going to like like fang is what it's referred to like what the book amazon all that um yeah just like between those sorts of two uh working at those kinds of companies i think they offer their own you know advantages and disadvantages of course um i think noel is absolutely right on the money in that you you do end up getting a whole lot more experience as well as just independence um by working in a smaller company and you do get a lot more exposure um i think definitely you end up having like a steeper learning curve but i think it does end up being more rewarding that being said you there is also a lot to gain um from working in a big company because you understand more of sort of like maybe less about like the the technical side of things but um from a management perspective you kind of understand like how these sorts of big massive projects are being uh, run like when they're on such a an enormous scale how they actually are able to you know keep things running especially like with so many interns um under their wing how they can you know manage all that all that kind of stuff going on so i i do really think that there's a lot to gain regardless of where i, I would end up going um which is why i think i don't really have too much of a preference but um in regards to like sort of future prospects um i really am excited to see kind of uh sort of the intersection between like um some really like like rigorous high level academics um things that have been talked about um and and just like the existing sort of tech space and so what i kind of mean by that is for example um fields like quantum computing um which in sort of in the last 10 years maybe were only discussed by people like who had like a phd specifically in quantum computing and or like mathematics and, and that kind of specific fields are now kind of coming merging a little bit more um into spaces where they actually are talking to you know students who might be in computer science or software engineering um and might just have like a very basic level of uh, understanding about like physics um and and you know that that related subject matter and so i think it's really i think it'll be really exciting to see sort of where that's headed in you know even even like the next 10 20 years um because technology has evolved at such a fast rate um so yeah i i i think you know to just sum it up nicely i i kind of want to just keep my options open just keep exploring um see see what's out there and what's what's what everything what what everyone sort of has to offer because i think there's some really interesting sort of propositions out there yeah that's that's a really fair answer right great cool i want to just quantropy there's a company out of ottawa called quantropy and there was a report that came out by 2001 report of different startups in across canada they're the only quantum computing one quantropy I'll give you the details. I just literally looked at that the other day, so that, awesome. I just wanted to share that with you. Awesome. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, you get the last. I guess you've already talked about Blackline, but is there anything you know, maybe maybe beyond Blackline? Yeah, I mean, I can just add to what you were saying that yeah, it's at least in my experience, like the experience that I had, it's uh, when I started Blackline, it was a small to medium company, and for sure, you do do learn more than that. Like if I had gone, for example, to a big company like Amazon or something like that, I could have the chance. I don't think it would have said no because it's very exciting to to work for these big companies. Um, but I'm pretty sure, like if I if I could compare, like the, if I could just like branch my life into two pieces and compare those two endings, I am pretty sure I would have learned more in Blackline, even though it was a small company, because like you said, there there were There are so many technologies that you you can you can get into so many like so many languages, so many everything about technology and and development that you can learn in a small company. Uh, since they're small, you can branch into all these things. It will be very hard to do the same thing in a big company because 
they have somebody who was specialized for that, they wouldn't let you, let you touch their their stuff, right? Because it's like very secure or something. Uh, so yeah, like uh, in that sense, yes, it, it's it's awesome to work in a small company to to get a knowledge. Uh, personally, I think uh, that's what I had in mind at the beginning too. Uh, well, when when I was first starting to look, I just I didn't care. I just wanted to get a job and get a, get a good experience. Uh, but now that I had the experience, I, I it is very valuable. And I I think I will still like to this experience one day to be one of the big companies, um, just to see how, like you said, how they do things in a in a massive way, in a scale. Like how they scale that something that you've never seen before. How they manage hundreds, thousands of people at the same time, or hundreds of repositories, or all these things. Uh, but I think what I'm focused on when I finish school and like when I go back to the industry is uh, just keep learning as much as I can, um, getting the opportunity that I can. But also I'm I'm very um, looking forward to maybe like I start a business of some some kind, like merge my knowledge with something that I'm passionate about. So I think that's what makes a great business most of the time. It's like yeah. something that you that you want to do, like really want to do. And you have the experience and something that you're passionate about. Maybe you don't have the experience, but you can get the other people to, to join you. And yeah, so I'll, I'll look forward to that whenever it comes. Yeah, that's great what you're saying with like, you know, your current, your current experience and your current job and like how you think about the, the, the larger ones. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And like the one thing that I can reflect back, having also worked at uh, a, like larger companies, um, which was, wasn't really a tech company, it was more a pharmaceutical company, um, is that like learning operational excellence you tend to learn in the larger companies because they have set processes and just like i always said like you know you need to have them because you have thousands of employees um and that by the way is something valuable to then bring back to a smaller company because you can instill that there and, and and just raise the bar so i think both approaches are super valid and um it looks like that you guys have really good plans of, of how to how to go ahead here so that's awesome well max noel atul and jorge thank you so much guys this has been a really well I, there's so many you know takeaways from this uh conversation but thank you for all three of you all four of you for joining me tonight and um max any last words you i think you just gave it nicely there but anything you want to say just in parting yeah no in, in addition to that i just like yeah thank you so much for you know all these awesome questions and um spending the time is it was a pleasure and I hope um, I could shed some lights on some things. And if you want to reach out after, feel free to do so. I'm always happy to answer some questions or like if you want to bounce off some ideas, uh, feel free to reach out. That's great because I have more questions. So Perfect. <laughs> we'll take it offline. That sounds good. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for spending some time. Uh, and Alan, thanks for uh, setting this up. And when I asked that question, I was hoping that you'd give me a reason to drop out of university. But, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I think they are like very successful, very successful entrepreneurs who all um, dropped out of university. So you, you might be onto something, but you need to think about yourself. I'm not going to make the decision for you. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank gentlemen, all of you. Thanks. It's been great. I'll post the. I'll post our findings on uh, somewhere on uh, social media in the coming days. But anyway, guys, have a great night. You too. And thank thanks you so again. much. Cheers. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye.